Desideratum is a Latin word, meaning things that are desired as essential. The Desideratum podcast celebrates the art of telling and the journey of listening to stories with narrator Teresa Bakken and her author, artist, and wordsmith, Friends. Episode 16. Teresa, in high school, when we would drag Maine, Michelle was DJ, because she was the disc jockey, and I was God Love Us, Sweet Tangerine. Those were our CB radio handles, you know, Breakerton for, hey, hey, DJ, got your ears on? No kidding. Yeah, we, yeah. well, the town that we grew up in is very small. And the only thing that there really was for kids to do on a Friday and Saturday night and Sunday afternoon was drag Maine. And that was during the height of the CB rage because, of course, there were no cell phones. So when you say drag Maine, I know exactly what you're talking about. But what do you explain what that really means? Looking for boys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Lord, we survived those years. God, <laughs> we had a lot of fun. A lot of fun is how I would describe spending time with DJ and Sweet Tangerine, just listening to 40 years of friendship. DJ is Michelle Williams, a voiceover artist, and Sweet Tangerine is author Kathleen Rogers. We start by talking about family, how being a daughter shaped both of their career paths. Six kids. Um, so, Teresa, I'm the third one down. I'm the, there's boy, two girls, two boys, girl. My, my little brother, Larry, we lost him in 83. Michelle remembers that. He was killed in a car wreck. But he's my muse. Larry Lindoran. Mm. Um, growing up in that large family, I mean, somebody asked me at a library in 2009. This man was in the audience. He said, Kathleen, why did you become a writer? And I just, it just came out. I said, because I grew up in a family of six kids, I became a writer to have a voice. But, you know, so Michelle grew up, Michelle's the firstborn. Michelle could do everything a boy could do and better. <laughs> Thank you. I was the only daughter, granddaughter, and great-granddaughter wow. in my dad's family. And so my grandmother was really funny. She fought and fought and fought for me to be this perfect little lady. You know, that, that horse was already out of the barn by the time <laughs> I, you know, just going with my granddad everywhere. And he was an old rancher. And so by the time I could start talking, I was cussing. And because my granddad did, and my dad did. Uh, going into radio when I was 15 years old and was one of the first women in the state of New Mexico on the radio it was, I was such a novelty mm. to the men in radio because they just didn't, you know, women didn't do radio back then. But I think it's interesting what you just said about being one of the first women on radio and, um, and that you were, you know, kind of at, at the heels of your grandfather cussing so young, <laughs> you know, that that relationship um, must have just made you feel braver about 
going through doors that maybe hadn't been gone through before by women, you know, being just feeling like, why not, you know? Um, I think it did, but I also think it was because my parents and in particular, my father was always really supportive of anything that I wanted to do and, and said, you know, you can do anything you want to do. Mm. And so I think that, that, that had a lot to do with it that combined with, you know, my stubborn Irish, Scottish, you know, <laughs> heritage. Um, and uh, I just, I, I just don't think that I've ever really, um, I've never really backed down from it, I guess. I mean, I, as I've gotten older, uh, there may have been times when I should have taken a risk that I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think we all go through periods of where we have our self-doubt mm-hmm. and as to whether or not we can do something. And, yeah. and I still, I still have that. And especially as, as an older adult, I mean, starting back into this business when you're 62 years old is, it was a scary proposition. And then it, it makes me think about how Kathleen has to put herself out there with her books and her characters and all of that all the time and how much I've appreciated working with this with her because we've so supported each other and Kathy's book is just so amazing and she's such an amazing author and I knew that I mean we we met on the high school newspaper and so she's purple press the purple press purple press I want to know what it what it means to you, Kathleen, to hear these characters voiced by someone that you have such a personal connection to, to hear that story that's also set, you know, very deeply in New Mexico, um, to make this connection with Michelle and have her bring that to life, what that's meant for you. I think what it was, because we both grew up in eastern New Mexico, wide open spaces you know, rain is rare. Most days, you know, you might have some of those puffy white clouds and blue skies. Um, and then there's sandstorms. And it's just a different, it's, it's more of an agricultural area and it's flat. Michelle's voice, her voice just reminded me of the land mm. and the sky Mm. And the people and her range of voices. And uh, when she, when I first heard her do Aunt Star, to me, she just, she's got Aunt Star down. And of course, Aunt Star, yeah, there's a couple of paragraphs that open the book. Chapter one, Aunt Star has the opening line. And I could just feel, I could feel the land. I could smell the wind. Mm in her voices. I love that. I was enjoying just hearing you describe the land and I didn't even realize that's where you were going with it. That is beautiful. That's fantastic. That's like the greatest compliment I think you could give a narrator. Oh, you fabulous. You know, not only brought a character to life, but that you brought the place, the setting to life. That is fantastic. And it leads us into talking a little bit about the first chapter, because we're going to hear exactly what you're describing. So you center it on an event that happens during the campaign uh, with the then candidate. And we open on that. And I do, I feel like you captured as maybe as a woman, I don't know if you meant to write it really from a female perspective, but. um, Oh, yes. (laughs) 
<laughs> right. Well, so talk a little bit about that. Like, why did you, what made you, what made you launch into the book from that perspective? Part of me took for granted what women decades ago did for me. I never appreciated what it was like to go to the polls and cast my vote, whether it was in a presidential election or for school board or city council. I never really appreciated what that meant. Mm. And I think as I've gotten older, it truly was, uh, it, it evolved for me. And it took things in our country for me to say, wait a minute. Mm. Some of it goes back. So I was an old, you know, military wife. Tom flew fighter jets. And then my youngest son graduated college at Texas Tech and he went into the army and got his commission. It took me going from old military wife to becoming a military mama. When my son went to war in Afghanistan in 2014, that is when I felt like I grew up. I felt like I was born all over again into this life of waiting every single second for the doorbell to ring, the knock at the door, the most horrible news. Once he came back, I started paying more attention to politics and war and why we go to war and what are we fighting for. Mm. I always took democracy for granted as an American and as a woman, I took my freedom for granted. And then 2016 came and to hear a candidate put down women, put down a genuine war hero that was in a POW camp for years, to hear a candidate put down a gold star family whose son went to war and got killed. I could not sit quietly anymore. And it's very scary as an author to take a stand. I've probably lost some readers, but I hope I've gained new readers. And as a woman in America, I'm not going to hide anymore. And I'm going to stand up for women's rights, human rights. That's a good place to pause. After listening to Kathleen's sincere and impassioned explanation of her convictions, let's listen to chapter one of her novel, The Flying Cutterbucks, narrated by her friend, Michelle Williams. Chapter 1 Trudy Returns Pardon, New Mexico, October 2016 Sister, did you hear what the orange cheese puff said? It's all over the news! Aunt Star's crotchety voice crackled from the tiny speaker of the cell phone into the stale air of Jewel Cutterbuck's cluttered living room. He was caught on tape bragging about grabbing women's lady parts! Trudy swiveled in the worn recliner and gazed across at her mother, Jewel, an aging beauty queen who'd let the contents of her household pile up around her like sand dunes. 
for Trudy, the sound of Aunt Star's voice functioned as both a welcome and a warning. Jewel frowned at the cell phone in her hand like a stink bomb had gone off. Good God, Star, what will the man say next? Jewel sat on one end of the sagging gold velvet sofa, flanked on both sides by Spanish-style end tables from the 70s. He used the P-word, sister. All the networks are talking about it. Jewel's jaw dropped as she scooted forward and placed the phone on a stack of books on the ornately carved coffee table. You mean like meow? She covered her mouth with a delicate hand freckled in liver spots to stifle a giggle. Trudy bolted out of the recliner, letting the back of the rocker thump against the textured wall. The song made famous by Tom Jones crooned in her head. Bending over the coffee table, she cupped her hands on her knees and blurted into the cell. What's new, pussycat? Aunt Star roared with laughter on the other end of the line. Lovey, is that you? When did you roll into town? Hey, Aunt Star, about five minutes ago. Trudy glanced up at her mother and winked. Mama Jewel and I were just discussing what to have for supper. You girls should splurge and go to Fur's Cafeteria. They serve everything but alcohol. Jewel leaned forward on the sofa, jutting her chin toward the phone. Star, Fur's closed two months ago. I'm going to miss their baked fish and banana pudding. Star sighed on her end. Sister, I sure hate to hear that. Next thing you know, Pardon's going to dry up and blow away, especially since the base closed. Was it Trudy's imagination, or did her mother's whole body change when Aunt Star mentioned the base? The place where Trudy was born. The last place they'd waved goodbye to her father after he crawled up the ladder to his jet and flew away into oblivion. Jewel pulled off her knit cap and fluffed her crop of silver hair. There's talk they're going to repurpose the base. Maybe move the municipal airport out to the old airfield. Turn the quarters into affordable housing. I'll believe it when I see it, Star huffed. Heck, it took pardon years to even get a McDonald's. Jewel rolled her eyes and made a yapping sign with her hand. She lowered her voice and muttered under her breath to Trudy. Just because she's the oldest by one year, that makes her the authority on everything. Trudy hoped her aunt didn't hear her mother's snarky comment. Well, at least we finally got a Walmart, Jules said, trying to humor her sister. And you call that progress? Star shot back. Ever since Aunt Star had moved to Las Vegas, New Mexico, a quaint little town nestled in the foothills of the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, she got her digs in about pardon. While Trudy went to work tidying up the magazines and books, she leaned toward the phone and joked, Aunt Star, the biggest problem with pardon is it missed Route 66 by about a hundred miles. A dry chuckle erupted from the other end of the phone. Jewel gave Trudy a big thumbs up and mouthed, Good one, before she pulled her knit cat back down over her head and burrowed back into the sofa. Aunt Star's voice burbled out of the phone again. So, how's my favorite stewardess? Her question caught Trudy by surprise. Didn't Mama tell you? I retired. 
Trudy glanced at her mother, who gave an exaggerated nod. Lovey, you're too young to retire. Trudy straightened her tall frame and searched around the room for another pile to attack. There were so many. I'll be 58 the end of this month, Aunt Star. I've been flying since I graduated high school. An assortment of rocks lined up on the windowsill caught Trudy's attention. The heels of her brown leather riding boots clicked on the terracotta tile as she ambled over to the large picture frame window facing north. She looked out across the straw-colored Bermuda grass stretching from the front porch to the four-lane highway that ran east to west in front of Jules' place. A few pale blossoms still clung to the giant yucca plant in the center of the yard next to a black lamppost. Trudy reached over and flicked the light switch and nothing happened. Hopefully, it just needed a new light bulb. She would check on that later. A few feet off the porch, a New Mexico state flag, along with the POWMIA flag, snapped in the October breeze, their metal clips clanging against the tall pole. Picking up a smooth gray rock, she turned it over and read the inscription. Red River NM, February 1958. Scrawled in black marker a souvenir from her parents' honeymoon, a treasure Trudy once cherished. But today, with a pang of sadness, she realized, even then her mother was hoarding things. She turned when Aunt Star's breezy sigh filled the room. Crime and netly, Trudy. It seems like yesterday you moved to Dallas and started flying for Southwest. Tell me about it, Joel piped up flinging off a yellow and brown afghan from her lap and tossing it over the back of the sofa. Trudy wondered when her mother had taken to wearing knit caps indoors and velour lounge pants instead of her usual tailored slacks and silk blouses, her trademark attire long after she'd sold her housecleaning business and taken up volunteer work at the hospital. At the bookcases on the west wall, Trudy paused to stare at multicolored spines with too many titles to take in all at once, and too many dusty knickknacks standing guard in front of the books. The whole house needed a thorough cleaning. Jewel may have owned her own business built from scratch in the late 70s, hiring single mothers like herself who needed to put food on the table. But when it came to cleaning her own house, well, she was like the plumber with leaky faucets or the cobbler with holes in his shoes. After Jewel made a comment about how time flies, Trudy swiveled and walked back toward the phone. How are you doing, Aunt Star? Even after all these years, Trudy still pictured her aunt in a crisp white nurse's uniform. I'm creaking along, knitting caps for the homeless and chemo patients. So, what are your big plans, Miss Gadabout? Trudy chuckled, her gaze fixed on the purple cap adorning Jewel's head one of Aunt Star's creations. My stuff's in storage for six months. For now, I'm going to bunk here with Mama and help her sort through stuff. Maybe haul a few loads to the dump or the Salvation Army. Aunt Star snorted. Good luck with that. It'd be easier to light a match to the place. I think that's called arson, Jewel chimed in. She pushed her frail frame up from the couch and handed Trudy the cell phone. Where's the remote? Let's get the news on and see what Star's harping about. I heard that, sister. Try any of the stations. It's made international news. 
Joel found their remote and aimed it at the flat-screen television wedged between the bookshelves on a cheap metal stand. The image of a fancy tour bus filled the screen. In the background, the voices of two men bantered like teenage boys in a locker room. Trudy tucked one hand under her other arm and held the cell phone out in front of her. She stood glued to the screen, her mouth agape at the shock of what she was hearing on network television. She glanced over at her mother every few seconds to gauge her reaction. Jules' heart-shaped face, once smooth but now wrinkled, took on an amused look. All at once, she lowered the volume on the television and glanced toward the phone in Trudy's hand. Honestly, Star, I heard Shep and his squadron buddies use worse language than that. Shep flew fighter jets, sister. He wasn't running for president. Still gripping the remote, Jewel sighed and placed one hand on her back and stretched this way and that. Trudy watched and listened as her mother breathed through her nose. It's been 44 years this month since his plane went missing. Trudy swallowed, trying to ignore the panic swirling in her gut as if it were yesterday when her mother received the telegram. Trudy glanced at a large photo of her father in a flight suit next to his F-4 Phantom, his square jaw clenched in a tight-lipped grin that said he meant business. She didn't need to walk across the room to read the words engraved on the small brass plaque at the bottom of the picture frame. United States Air Force Major Shepard Cutterbuck MIA, October 2, 1972, North Vietnam. Aunt Star cleared her throat. And I I'm sorry, Jewel, I know it still hurts. Even in the waning light, Trudy could see her mother's blue eyes soften. Jewel scratched at something on the back of her neck and looked away, not bothering to answer. Trudy hugged herself and began to pace. For a second, she regretted coming home. In sequined slippers, Jewel padded toward the kitchen, the remote still in hand. Halfway across the room, she swiveled and cranked up the volume. The offensive word blared into the room like an intruder. This time, Jewel's whole body stiffened. With a shaky hand, Jewel aimed the controller at the television like a madwoman with a gun. I've heard enough of his crap, she snapped, clicking the power button. This election is making us all cranky, that's for sure, said Aunt Star. Jewel spun and snatched the phone from Trudy's hand. Trudy flinched, surprised by her mother's sudden outburst and how quickly she could move when provoked. Jewel held the cell phone up to her ear and mouth, even though it was still on speaker. Star, I just realized something. What's that, sister? The orange dude. It's the filthy way he talks about women. He reminds me of Cousin Dub. Cousin Dub. All the air went out of the room. Trudy shuddered and wrapped herself more tightly in her long cable-knit cardigan. Even her winter leggings and flannel tunic couldn't stave off the sudden chill that crept through her body. She glanced towards the kitchen, half expecting to see him there. The sound of Aunt Star's labored breathing filled the room. Then, a long silence ensued between Trudy and her mother in Jules' dusty living room on the outskirts of Pardon, and Aunt Star in her little pink adobe several hundred miles away.
A freight train rumbled past on the railroad tracks behind Jules' home. The whole house vibrated in its wake. A lone whistle sounded after a moment as the train drew closer into town and away from the women. We don't have to worry about Dub ever again, Aunt Star whispered at last. Karma caught up with him. After Star hung up, Jewel turned to her daughter. Trudy? Her voice sounded odd, like she had something stuck in her throat. Trudy swallowed and licked her lips. Her heart raced ahead of her as she tried to appear calm. Yes, Mama? Her voice came out raspy. Jewel took a deep breath and exhaled slowly. Did something happen here that fall of 74 after I had to go away? Go away. Her mother couldn't even bring herself to say it. Trudy gazed up at the ceiling, trying to dodge the question. You mean when you had your nervous breakdown? She thought. It's okay to say it, Mama. Your husband got shot down and went missing, and a year and a half later your son died. That's enough to send anybody to the funny farm. Funny farm. What Cousin Dub smarted right before he bought the farm, as Trudy's father might have said, had he been there. Trudy glanced down at her mother. She towered over her by several inches. Aunt Star took good care of me in Georgia while you were away. Her dull voice drummed in her ears as she tried too hard to sound normal. Handing Trudy the remote, Jewel walked to the kitchen sink and stared out the window. Dusk was settling. She turned and ran her fingertips over her bottom lip. You know, one of the last things your daddy said to me before he deployed? Keep that sorry cousin of yours away from my girls. I wondered as you were reading it, Michelle, did you... Was there a section of the book that was harder than you thought, or were there any surprises in it as you were prepping the story and getting ready to, you know, to actually put your voice to the story? Um, I think the part that resonated with me a lot, and, and maybe it's because I lost my dad in 2015 and is Trudy's conversations with her dad, mm -hmm. um, uh, were, not that they were so difficult for me, but they were, they were very, they were um, seated deep down within me because of her talking to her dad, because I find myself doing that a lot. So that wasn't necessarily the difficult part. I think Kathy's characters are just so full, you know, they're, they're very, they're meaty. They've, every one of them, even Bogey has, um, his character is robust, even though you don't hear from him that much in the book. I, I wrote down from your website, Kathleen, that you said, I am always the daughter. This is right across the top. I am always the daughter trying to write my way home. What do you mean by that? Thank you. That it hit me one day, it hit me one day as I'm working on my latest manuscript, because once again, in my mind, in my spirit, in my heart, in my imagination, I'm in this place back in eastern New Mexico. 
I'm always, I'm using everything from 62 years and my earliest memories of growing up there and I'm giving it to all these different characters. So what is that home? Because Teresa, oh gosh, I love that you found that. For me, it's almost like, okay, um, I'm working on my fifth book. That's my new mission statement. I think she's finally giving herself permission to like New Mexico again. Uh-huh. To be able to deal with where she's from. Yeah. And I feel it because I feel it. I felt it in Cutterbucks. I mean, I think that that's why it's, I cannot begin to tell you how proud I am of my friend and all that she's accomplished with her writing and how excited I am for this fifth novel. I, but yeah, I do. I feel like she's finally given herself permission to come back to her heart in New Mexico. I like to ask what for you is essential? What is an essential thing that you desire in your life? I think one of the things that has been so shocking to me and here recently was that just how important truth is. And, and I'm thinking about truth in, in the way of, I remember growing up, I'd never heard of Black Wall Street. I never knew about the Tulsa massacre massacre. Mm -hmm. And some of these things that are now being brought to our attention and, um, and brought to the light. Yes. Um, I hope that, that we get better at this and maybe because of writers, fewer of these things will be swept under the rug, so to speak. I just, the thing that I really want, whether or not somebody wants to speak their truth to me, I think I would hope that I have the ability to understand their truth. Um, And that's as as a human being, I mean, above all. I love that take on truth in Michelle's empathetic perspective. You can listen to the rest of The Flying Cutterbucks, narrated by Michelle Williams, written by Kathleen Rogers on Audible. I'll put a link to it and to Kathleen Rogers' website in the show notes and on the Desideratum website. Thanks for listening.